Hey, thanks so much for joining us on our channel today. We wanna to encourage you to subscribe and like today's video. Also, today's word is brought to you by our Truth Partners. These are people who want to financially invest to help us get this message of truth to around the nation and around the world. You can become a Truth Partner today by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give. Again, thank you for partnering with us on this message of truth, and thank you for liking and subscribing to today's video. God bless you. I pray this sermon blesses your life. Well, Creative Church, it is just uh, such an honor to be with you and thankful for the privilege to get to share today. And shout out to the Spring Lake campus as well. I am just sometimes overwhelmed, but also uncomfortable with an introduction. Um, but for starters, can we just talk about... Um, one thing that I find to be annoying about your pastor is he is accidentally cool. Like this cat doesn't even try to be cool and he's, he's cool. Like, I mean, that video there, he just pulls out his iPhone and he nails it in one take, walking down, hits the Sea of Galilee at perfect timing. Most of us would need a whole family crew, the right lighting. I'd be insecure about bags under my eyes and the nasal shot. Uh, he just doesn't even have to try hard. He just gets it. Anyone just thankful for someone who doesn't have to try hard? They just get it. Uh, I just, I, I just think he's awesome. And uh, I, I'm sometimes nervous after an introduction because I think uh, you can't really appreciate a person's overflow uh, if you don't understand their, their undertow and, and what they had to go through. And I find myself sometimes surprised anytime I get the opportunity to stand before any group of people and share the Bible because uh, in my mind, I'm fully aware of the fact that I, in many ways, am the least qualified. Come on, wave at me if you just think, man, I, I just could be a lot of places, but by the grace of God, he has me here. And uh, wave at me if you weren't always a Christian. Come on, wave at me if you weren't always a Christian. I mean, this will expose some bad theology. Uh, <laughs> because you're not born into this thing. Uh, you have to receive Christ. And uh, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. And I had a, a faulty nature, a rebellious side to me that was drawn to the, the things of this world and drawn to impure, reckless, foolish things. And uh, that spun me out for a season uh, so much. So in the age of 19, I was in Panama City Beach, Florida, and I was... Uh, celebrating spring break with a bunch of other college students. Remember back in the day, MTV would throw those parties, spring break. And I was, uh, I had a lot of things in my system. Uh, and I came uh, walking out of a club in rare form. And uh, it was actually a Petey Pablo concert, the rapper by the name of Petey Pablo. And uh, I come out of this uh, club and there's this white van on the curb. And they say, hey, anyone need a free ride? And uh, me and my teammates who were down there, we needed a free ride. We were not in a position to drive ourselves. And, and so we take advantage of the service. And we ended up taking advantage of the service the whole week. And uh, they offered pr free breakfast in the morning, barbecues on the beach at night, and driving uh, students like myself all throughout the evenings. And come to find out, they were Christian students from Eastern Michigan University. And uh, they were just down there serving reckless individuals like myself. And, and that's where I bumped into Jesus. You know, I love that you can bump into Jesus along the side of a broken road. Now, here's what I discovered. I, I had to discover the difference between salvation and sanctification. That when I gave my life to Christ, 
uh, heaven didn't wave a wand over my life. Anyone else, you realize that? Like you gave your life to Christ and you woke up to still recognizing some brokenness in the mirror. And I'm 20 years into this deal and I still see some things in the mirror that I have to surrender to the Lord. And I find that my, my journey into this deal uh, was very clumsy and extremely unimpressive. Uh, that early on in my, my journey with Christ, I, I had to bout some things in my faulty nature and I had to face some things. And I would say it this way, Salvation happens in a moment, uh, but sanctification takes the rest of your life. Another way of saying it is salvation gets you to heaven. Sanctification gets heaven through you. And I found that in order for God to get heaven through me, he had to get a lot of hell out of me. And there's this interesting tension. I'm so thrilled being back in Minnesota because after I gave my life to Christ, I, I transferred to a school up here in Minnesota. And I started uh, attending a church, getting to serve in a, you know, a volunteer capacity. And uh, that's how it all kind of began for me. I never really seen pastorate as something uh, in my future. Um, but somehow you, you just stay to the course and gradually, incrementally, uh, as God sees fit in your life, uh, God establishes and entrusts and develops you accordingly. And what I've discovered is uh, God cares more about the strength of your growth than the speed of your growth. And I think sometimes we get this wrong in the church world because we want the church to operate as a spiritual microwave, but come on, how many of you know that food is better out of the oven? It just takes longer. And uh, followers of Christ are better when they've been cooked in an oven uh, rather than just microwaved. And, and that, was, that was me. I, I gave my life to Christ and I, I kind of stumbled into this. I stumbled into this. I sometimes wonder because I find that Kristen and I uh, in our college days here in Minnesota, still we're drawn to a good party. And sometimes I wonder when I stand in front of people, I'm like, I wonder if I ever partied with any of these people. <laughs> um, but by the grace of God, now I get to share the Bible with you and I'm, I'm just honored to do so. And uh, I, I'm so thankful for you as a church and, and I just wanna affirm uh, your generosity and just let you know on behalf of our family, uh, you as a church are a tremendous blessing to Team Johnson in ways that you probably don't realize it, but your open-handedness uh, with your pastors uh, is a real gift. And Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Joanne are faithful friends. Come on, wave at me if you're thankful for a faithful friend. Uh, not just the ones who like the good things in you, but the ones who stand faithfully beside you when you're discovering some bad things in you, the ones who share their own pain and the ones who come alongside you and encourage you, the ones who are there through thick and thin, um, they're, they're faithful friends. And I, I don't know if we would have the relationship uh, with them uh, if they didn't have a church behind them uh, that was so open uh, to sharing their pastors. And so church, I, I just... I just want to say from the bottom of our hearts, uh, thank you for sharing your pastors. They are a tremendous gift to Kristen and I and our four children. So thank you. I married out of my league, which, fellas, uh, this is a byproduct of following Christ. I think he makes us look better than we actually are. And I think uh, this is a picture of my family right here. Uh, my wife, Kristen, and four children, Riley, Cannon, Miles, and Presley, ages 13, 11, 9, and then 4. Uh, we had a bit of a surprise on the 4th, but that's what you get for going home for lunch on a Tuesday. <laughs> Come on, church ought to be the most honest place on the planet. 
And um, I'm now told by physicians that it would be a medical marvel if that happened again, but you can pray for us. Uh, we're, we're loving life, and uh, I find that uh, life is it's an adventure. It's just a joy. There's things that uh, God does in our life that we just don't even know to pray for. And, and there's something about faithfulness uh, that positions us to discover it all. Have you ever discovered that faith is a two-way street? In the same way your faith honors God, God honors your faith. And something about our faithfulness positions us to discover more of God's faithfulness. That he's always at work and he's working all things together uh, for the good of those who trust him. Amen. Hey, I just want to take a moment and let you know that today's sermon is brought to you by our truth partners. If you're interested in being a truth partner, simply go to creativechurch.com slash give and select truth partners today. Again, please subscribe and like today's video. It's blessing you. It's blessing your family. And hey, let's get back to the word. And I am just so thankful uh, for his faithfulness uh, in and through our lives as we trust him. And, and I just wonder what God might have next in store uh, for your life uh, with your skill set and your personal experiences and the things you've gone through, both pleasure and pain, and how God is going to weave them together redemptively and beautifully uh, to accomplish his perfect and pleasing will in your life. And uh, one probably the greatest compliment I've ever received after a message is an individual came up to me and they said, I love listening to you preach because every time you deliver a message, it reminds me, God truly can use anybody. <laughs> And uh, I pray that maybe that is the encouragement um, listening to me today. Uh, I've discovered in my own life, God is magnetic to the pathetic. Come on, someone needs to hear that today. God is magnetic to the pathetic. And um, yeah, I, I just pray you hear this coming from a, from a real place that uh, in my journey with Christ, I've discovered he's bigger than I thought. He's brighter than I thought, and he's better than I thought. And I, and I pray you discover that as well. And anyone just love your Bible? Anyone, come on, wave at me if you love your Bible. I, I love the word. One of my favorite quotes about the Bible says, uh, the Bible is the father's portrait of the son painted by the spirit. So that's the one you write down, you go home and journal about, you think about it. The, the Bible is the, the father's portrait of the son painted by the spirit. And there's something about this divine revelation that illuminates truth and God's promises and his plan and his promptings in our life. And I think it's a miss when we go to scripture like a novel. Uh, this is not a novel. In fact, it's not a book. If anything, scripture is a library made up of 66 books. And here's what's profound about it. As we gather and we open the pages of scripture, it's not just the retelling of a story. It can become the reliving of a story. Now, I think what God wants us to do is he wants us to peer into the pages of scripture and he wants us to bump into his activity in the lives of individuals who take him at his word. And I think he wants us to rise up in faith, believing that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he can use folks like that, he can use folks like us. And if he could do it then, he can do it now. Can I get an amen? I believe God can do it now. I love the Bible and I 
find that this is one of the things that I, I just so dearly appreciate about your pastor is his uh, faithful commitment uh, to teaching God's word. My little boys are aspiring to be pastors in this season. And I feel sometimes I, I have to tell them uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I got to uh, set them up for success and help them understand what they're considering. And I just don't want them to tell them the good things. And recently I was having this conversation and I said, boys, what you have to understand is when the pulpit is silent, the people struggle. But when the pulpit is vocal, the pastor struggles. And, and there's a warfare, there's an adversity, there is uh, even at times a demonic attack upon the pulpit, especially those faithful servants who are willing to declare it with boldness. And uh, your pastor uh, stewards this word well, week in and week out. Anyone just thankful for the covering that you have over your life and the spiritual mantle that is placed upon Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Joanne. And I think sometimes when you step outside in the storm with an umbrella, not a drop of rain touches your head, but you never really take into account the fact that the umbrella is getting soaked. And these two are not victim-minded and they're never gonna play the woe is me card, but I can only imagine the times that they got soaked and not a drop touched your head. And I think giving thanks and gratitude for the covering that is over this house. And I think gratitude is, it's always visible and it's never silent. And I think when God places people in your life who have a tremendous impact, uh, make sure you let them know how much you love them, how much you appreciate them, and that their value in your life is, is quite significant. Amen? I love that. Well, if you guys are in this series called First, someone say First, which is uh, a prompting all throughout Scripture, that God wants to be first I remember a time growing up on the playground, I had this buddy named Tyrone who had more game than I did at the age of nine. And I remember I was on top of this playground, I was about to come down the slide and he came up and he's like, bro, your outfit's all messed up. And apparently my, my buttons uh, weren't lined up on my shirt. And so Tyrone came over and he was fixing my buttons and I'll never forget this. I still to this day rely on this tip that this nine-year-old gave me on a playground. And he takes my shirt and he starts buttoning it up for me. And he says, here's the trick. If you get the top one in place first, the rest just fall in place. This kid was like a baby Yoda. I'm like, that, <laughs> that'll preach. And uh, shout out to Tyrone, wherever he's at. But there is something spiritually, practically in our lives that when you get the, the top one, the first one, the most important one in place uh, the rest just seem to fall in place. And, and God is first, but he's not just on the top of your list of priorities. No, that's, that's not quite even what he's after. Uh, he's not number one on your list of priorities. He's the paper 
you write your list of priorities upon. He is preeminent. He is before all things. He is in all things. And he deserves the glory. Amen. He's, he's first. And I just wonder what would happen in your life if you made God first. If you made God first. What I find in my own personal journey, what I see in the pages of scripture, and what I guarantee you will discover over time is God cares far more about your character and your conduct than he does about your comfort and convenience. He cares more about your character and your conduct than he does about your comfort and your convenience. And this is something that I'm not always excited to preach about, but I do feel responsible uh, as a pastor to at least tell people this is God's uh, MO. This is how he operates in our lives. And some of you, you became a Christian because someone uh, sold you a bag of lies. They say, hey, if, if you become a Christian, all your problems will go away. You become a Christian, you'll wake up the next morning to an angel playing a harp in the corner. You'll come downstairs to find your kids doing devotions in a circle in the living room. You'll open up your bank account and find out you had more money than the night before. Uh, but then you actually experience how this thing really plays out. You gave your life to Christ and your car broke down on the way to work the next day. You gave your life to Christ and suddenly there was a predictable spiritual resistance in your life. And I think that is something that you have to understand that God doesn't run from it. In fact, God invites it. God almost says, bring it on. Because he wants us to understand the truth of his word and what he's capable in desiring to do in our life. And scripture says, you and I are more than conquerors. Well, folks, how do you discover that? You have to conquer something. Scripture says, greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. Well, how do you discover that? Well, he that's within you has to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with he that's within the world, and you need to see his defiant victory over whatever obstacle you're facing. Amen? And God, he almost invites the crisis. He invites the tension. He invites the pain. And he says, hey, if, if you trust me, not only will I prove to you who I am and what I'm capable of doing, I will use this as an instrument to shape, to mold, and to harness your character into my image and my likeliness. He cares more about your character and your conduct than he does with your comfort and convenience. That the birthmark of a Christian is a target. Yeah, no one ever says amen to that. But here's the deal. When you were self-sabotaging on your own, Satan never had to attack you. But the moment you pledged your allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you signed up for his plan over your life, suddenly you became a threat to the enemy's agenda. There's now a target on your back. And here's the deal. With spiritual maturity, kind of like that tattoo on your arm, the more you grow, that thing stretches out. Anyone got a bogus tattoo because you got it too early? Yeah. Those things stretch. And um, here's the thing about character. Uh, if you go through the pages of Scripture, you find that God cares deeply about who you are as a person. Ultimately, he understands that your identity determines your activity. Who you are determines what you do. Dentists fix teeth, not cars. 
Because your identity, it determines your activities. Is that making sense? And he cares deeply about our character. Well, what you'll find is if you go through the pages of Scripture, my challenge to you is don't just take my word for any of this. I pray that you go home and wrestle with it and you open up the pages of your own scriptures and you test the validity in what is being taught to you. But what you'll find is in scripture, three character attributes emerge above the rest. I would call them the tripod of godly character. And those would be integrity, humility, and generosity. All throughout scripture, you want to find like, hey, there's this tripod of godly character, integrity, humility, and generosity. Now, how many of you have ever been at a restaurant where the table was wobbling, spilling your drink, soup over the bowl? The whole thing is frustrating. So what do you do? You grab like four packets of sugar and you start cramming them under the leg trying to balance out the table uh, because the table's wobbly. And in the same sense, uh, we can follow Christ and discover that at times our, our faith is wobbly. And come on, wave at me, because I know I've discovered this in my own life. Have you ever discovered a season where your faith was wobbly? I've had seasons where I discovered my, my faith is wobbly. And what you discover is if your faith is wobbly, there's a good chance you're coming up short in one of these three areas. Integrity, humility, and generosity. And, and I love speaking on all three, and I find that I've had to go to work in those areas, and God continues to work in those areas in my life. And I promise you, God will continue to be hyper-attentive to those three areas in your life as well. And I love talking about generosity because I don't think you can talk about Christianity and not talk about generosity. In fact, I would say this, uh, without generosity... Christianity doesn't exist. Think about it. What's the cornerstone verse of our faith? For God so loved the world that he gave. Yeah, this is a movement of radical generosity. Even when you open up the pages of scripture, you bump into an extremely generous God. The story of creation is mesmerizing. It's, it's breathtaking. He is such a good host thinks of all the details, he could have put us on a speck of dust in the galaxy. But for whatever reason, he decided to hang the stars, the moon and the suns, give us the ocean and some mountains. He hosts us so well. He is so radical in his generosity towards you and I. This is a movement of generosity. In fact, sometimes I think it would be a miss for you and I as Christians not to have a handle on uh, church history. Because individuals have come before us and they have made remarkable sacrifices all to advance the cause of Christ throughout human history. I mean, have you ever thought about what it would take and what it required for the gospel to jump oceans? Think about this. This, this was a movement started with a group of ragamuffins, uneducated, no political power, no affluence, no money, no backing, no military support. Just a group of individuals who seen the resurrected Savior and they said, hey, if he is risen, I can keep rising. And if death can't defeat me, nothing can defeat me. So bring it on. I'm going to tell everyone about the good news of Jesus Christ. And somehow that spread all around the world 
to where now the gospel has touched down on every continent on the planet. And it's been, been marked and fueled and energized and catalyzed by individuals who reflect God's generosity in the world. And I, in many ways, feel like I'm preaching to the choir when I, I talk about this to this church, uh, because you are insanely generous. And if anything, I would pray that my message to many of you is to uh, keep your foot on the gas, keep swinging for the fence. God is good, he is able, and it's worth it all, amen? amen. And, you know, in scripture, you'll find that God speaks a great deal about generosity. And again, you find that all of these passages, scriptures, and examples of generosity, they all funnel into three categories. Now, if you're taking notes, this might be the one you want to write down, which somewhere in my theology is this idea that people who take notes in church get to cut the line entering heaven. <laughs> so some of you, you need to get a fast pass and start taking some notes. Um, but here, here's the, the three categories of generosity in scripture. Um, one, there's priority giving. That's what we're, we're talking about in this idea of first. Like God wants to be first. He wants to be the priority in our life, which is why I believe you can't separate your faith from your finances. I would also say every spending decision is a spiritual decision because it articulates and establishes where God is at in the pecking order of your life. Uh, one way of saying it is the greatest theological book in your household is your checkbook. And so there's priority giving. Then there's percentage giving. All throughout scripture, even before the law was established, you find this principle of the tithe uh, in which individuals would give 10%. Uh, but what you discover is that's only the, really the starting gate of this deal. Most of you find that you set up auto draft and it became autopilot because 10% really is nothing in terms of giving it to a God who gave 100%. And you discover it's his anyways, and you can't outgive God, so why not trust him with more? So there's priority given. There is percentage giving. And if you really want to grow in your faith, just know that the invitation is then going to focus on progressive giving. Individuals who just live so open-handed to the things of God, and they're constantly growing in this area. And what would happen in your faith journey if you grew in the area of generosity. One, I'd find that your faith would be less wobbly, and I find that God would position you to have an impact you don't even know to pray for. And I would say this, I didn't say this at the first service, but it's coming to mind right now. Um, we're all familiar with this idea of being under the influence. And the uh, impairment that comes with being intoxicated. I find that a lot of uh, Christians are under the affluence, Amen. intoxicated by the things of this world and materialism. And what's so brilliant about generosity is it's the remedy of greed. And I would say this, hold on to this one. If God can't trust you with affluence, God can't trust you with influence because God's a good steward and people are his prized possession. So if he can't trust you with possessions, don't expect him to trust you with people. If he can't trust you with affluence, don't be mad if he doesn't trust you with more influence. And 
you find this all throughout scripture. And a lot of times scripture is opening our eyes to individuals who live this well. And Paul would speak a great deal about this. And the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter eight, uh, he says this talking about a church. I love sharing church stories. Your church has a remarkable story. You should share it with people. And Paul would also share people's stories. And he says this in verse one. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace. Someone say grace. grace. The grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. Now, that's a confusing statement. In extreme trials and, you know, inconvenience, they welled up in rich generosity. That doesn't seem to make sense. It goes on in verse 3 to say, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. And they gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, uh, and this, not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord by the will of God, then to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you the act of, say it with me, grace, grace the act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this, watch this statement, this is big. I say this not as a command. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I think it's really important to understand that when you are talking about matters such as this, you have to focus on that last statement where he says, uh, I don't say this as a command. Paul is saying, I'm not commanding this, but I am commending this. He's saying there's a level of faith that isn't expected, but there's a level of faith that gets heaven's attention. There's a level of faith that heaven's like, man, that's awesome. God's like, I didn't command that, but let's slap some fives and commend it because that individual gets it. And folks, you are seated among some heroes who probably would never tell you their story because they're just too high in character and too humble. But there are some individuals in this room and at our other campus who aren't living a commanded faith. They're living a commended faith. And what would it look like if you started pursuing God in such a way where it's like, this faith of mine isn't commanded, it's commended. And I just think the goal for every single one of us is to live in a way that invites more of God's favor, more of God's trust, more of God's uh, just hand of provision upon our life. And generosity does exactly that. And I, I love it because what's the word I had you repeat over and over again? Grace. What you're gonna find in the pages of scripture is you cannot separate grace from generosity. In fact, I would say this, and when I get to speak to other pastors, I, I have to kind of press on this with them, that 
where they are sometimes frustrated where there's a lack of giving, I will tell them, hey, it's, it's not a giving problem. It's a gospel problem. As, as preachers of the word, our job is to instruct people to understand the full measure and what it means to understand deeply the finished work of the cross. And it's when you understand that he gave all of himself for all of us, that grace sparks a desire to live a generous life. That you can't separate grace from generosity. Grace is the fuel behind it all. He gave his all, I'm gonna give my all. Anyone thankful that he gave his all? I just find myself amazed uh, by the cross and his love for every single one of us, that he loves all of us as if there was only one of us. His grace is, is tailor fit to our lives. He's so attentive and in the details and he's so intentional and thoughtful and he's so patient and persistent and he's so present and it's as if he loves all of us as if there was only one of us. We get so much of his attention and his desire and his grace is, is perfectly fitting to your broken life and to my broken life. I love this idea of grace. And what's amazing is Paul is saying to this church, he's saying, hey, you, you excel in all these areas. You excel in faith and in speech and in knowledge and love and in earnestness. Now consider excelling in this area as well. The, the idea there is as followers of Christ, our question for God should often be, Lord, where is there dormant potential in my life? Is there any area in my life that you seek to develop me and I'm doing well in these areas, what do you have next for me? And Paul's saying to this church, you're crushing it. Now consider this. And, and maybe Paul would pull up a seat to coffee with you and say, hey, you're crushing it in all these areas. Well done. Now consider this area. And maybe this would be your next step of faith. Every single one of us has a next step, amen? I read this and I'm hyper-competitive. Anyone else, come on, wave at me if you're competitive, like embarrassingly competitive. Uh, and I married someone who's exactly like me. Uh, I, I sometimes am jealous of the people who say, I married my opposite. Uh, that probably would have saved Krista and I from some situations uh, because uh, we are driving a Ferrari with no brakes, no, we're the same person, and sometimes we have to talk about maybe it would be wiser uh, to build a fence at the top of a cliff than a hospital at the bottom, uh, but we just push each other over the edge. We're accelerators, and part of our broken nature is uh, we're, we're hyper-competitive. In fact, this is an area that I, I actually would say I'm more righteous than Kristen. Uh, she's more competitive than I am, and uh, we are sore losers in the Johnson household, and <laughs> Somehow, uh, we have co-created four humans who are just better than us, and uh, they don't share our, our brokenness in this area. My son, Cannon, uh, is just a stand-up guy, and he's so gentle. And 
Uh, recently, he was in a football game, and even how he tackled the kid was nice. He, like, laid him down softly, like, gave him a hand on the way up, even apologized for hitting him. And I'm like, buddy, and Kristen's screaming, like, hit him. Like, I want to see snot bubbles, right? We're, we're just intense people. And my son, Cannon, who is certainly a baby Yoda and has a handle on things, said, Mom and Dad, you played sports for competition. I play for connection. And I was like, buddy, you're just a better human than us. <laughs> we are competitive. So when I read about this Macedonian church, something in me rises up. Like, oh, if the Macedonians can do it, Minnesotans can do it. Anyone else, you just kind of rise up in that thing. And if they can do it, we can do it. If God could use them, God could use us. If God could do it then, God can do it now. And so Paul is talking about generosity, and I want to point out how he ends. He says in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, he says, the point is this. I mean, that's a good preacher right there. Long-winded, but at the end, like, guys, I'm just going to boil it down for you. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make, here it is again, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So he's talking about reaping and sowing. And, and here's a principle that I would um, put before you. And that is this. Those who don't give strategically, and systematically will end up reaping sparingly and sporadically. Those who don't sow systematically and strategically will end up reaping sparingly and sporadically. And I think there are things about spiritual disciplines that sustain spiritual momentum. And my question for you is if you're gonna thrive in this area of generosity, uh, do you have a plan? because it doesn't happen by accident. Good marriages don't happen by accident. Raising wonderful children doesn't happen by accident. Developing a great business or managing a wonderful career, those things don't happen by accident. And living a generous life, you just don't wake up someday and accidentally become generous. You have to be systematic and strategic. And he says, and you should do so as each one of us has decided where? in our heart to give. Which Paul would at other times in scripture say, I pray that the Lord would illuminate the eyes of your heart. You ever thought about that? I know, we're aware that our head has eyes, but sometimes we don't think of this idea that our heart has eyes. And what Paul is saying is eyesight can't compare to insight. The eyes of your heart, that's, that's insight. 
What God is calling us to is to live lives of deeper substance that we, we look beneath the surface and we don't just use our eyesight, we use our insight. God, would you help me see what you're doing and what you're up to and would you allow me to be a part of it? That's what the Macedonian church was like. They were begging. No, someone don't gotta ask me. I just want in. I'm intuitive in my faith. And I love that because it says that generosity is a heart's decision. And I think it's not only a heart's decision, I think generosity reveals your heart's condition. We tell on ourselves all the time. And how you're doing is reflected in what you're doing. You can reverse that statement and say what you're doing tells how you're doing. And when it comes to the generosity conversation, I often get a kick out of individuals who strike it up to a matter of wealth, as if this is something only wealthy people participate in. And as a pastor, I just gotta tell you, I know a lot of really wealthy people who don't give anything. And then I know individuals who should be categorized as living in poverty, who are extreme in their generosity. This is not a wealth issue. If anything, it's a health issue. Folks, how is your heart? And I'm telling you, generosity, it's the remedy of greed. It keeps the things that are trying to entangle us and imprison us and the things that wanna, you know, compete for our allegiance. It keeps us freed of those things. And I end with this, Jesus once tells a parable he says there's this guy and he's, he's wandering through a field and he finds a treasure. And it says that he buries the treasure, goes and sells everything that he has and buys the field. Now, the original hearers of this parable would have been perplexed because the law of the land was similar to what you and I grew up with on the playground. Finders, keepers, Losers, weepers. That was the law. So they would have said like, well, this doesn't make sense. If he found the treasure, it's his. Why sell everything and buy the field? And what Jesus is wanting us to understand that the treasure was so great, this man now had an inexpressible appreciation for the field in which he found it. And essentially what you find in this man is he understood I can't afford this treasure, but I can afford to treasure it. I now love this field. And many of you, you've given your life to Christ right here at Creative. You discovered the greatest treasure ever right here. And you can never afford this treasure. You can never pay your way into heaven. But Jesus picked up the tab. And so my question for you is, though you can't afford this treasure, what would it look like if you afforded to treasure it? And you just looked at this space as the field in which you discovered it and thought, I love this place and I want more people to experience this place, amen? I love that. And here's a question as we close. 
what kind of church would creative be if everyone patterned their giving after yours? Some of you, like, game on. We would take the world by storm. We'd be debt-free, planting new campuses, starting initiatives and programs all throughout our city and our nation. If everyone patterned their giving after me, I mean, there's no limit to saying what we could do. And others of you, you're on the other side of that spectrum to where if you're honest, you'd say, if, if everyone patterned their giving after me, I don't know if our church would exist. And I just think the ones who grow among us are the ones who stare honestly at those questions and then respond in faith. And my question for some of you is, would you consider doing for others? Individuals have radically sacrificed and made incredible acts of generosity to make this church possible. So you could show up and discover Jesus. Would you consider doing for others what others have already done for you? And let's continue advancing the cause of Christ in this city and around the world. Amen. Can we give God some glory? Hey, if this sermon blessed you and your family, I want to encourage you to be a truth partner. You can do that by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give and partnering with us to help get this message of truth out to more people in our nation and around the world. It is our truth partners that make this a reality. Again, thank you for subscribing to our channel. Thank you for liking today's video. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon.